With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the All-Star Break edition of Sharing Socks. I'm Southside Sox duty geezer Lee Allen. With me, my son and West Coast correspondent, Will. As we ponder what will happen here on out, first though we ponder, poor Luis Robert Jr. Uh, had a great first round in the uh, home run derby. We're, we're recording this on Wednesday, the the mid-afternoon after the All-Star game itself. Uh, and then it turns out he pulled a muscle or strained a muscle anyway in his calf. He looked very tired after the first round, and that may well have had something to do with it. Oh, they all tend to look kind of tired because that's a wearing uh, event that gets down on them. Uh, Nowadays, but, especially when you got guys hitting 30 in the first round, you got guys yeah. hitting 30 in three minutes or four if you get the bonus. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. seemed like he was going to die right after himself. <laughs> <He did. laughs> that dude's whole life is hitting home runs. Yeah. Well, not only did I feel sorry for Luis because he obviously had run out of gas when he when it came to round two after having a terrific round one, but did you watch after he lost in in, in round two? They shot a picture of him, you know, just a, there he was, and he looked really, really sad, of course, but lost. And I I realized every other competitor had teammates there. Yeah, they had family there, uh, you know, from Mookie and his wife and baby daughter to uh, Rosarena Garcia playing with each other's kids and their own kids and each other because they're and best each friends. Other. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and uh, Rodriguez having forty thousand family up in the stands for him, and he had nobody. There's no other White Sox player out there. He's not married. He doesn't have kids. I think his parents are still in Cuba, and and so he was just kind of. Poor guy was just kind of alone there to to suffer. I I really felt sad for him. I did too. I actually felt sad for him after he won the first round because everyone else, when they hit home runs, you got 10 guys rushing up to you to talk to you in your native language and pump you up and all that. Nobody talked to him after he won, after he won That's that true. first round. When, when he was cranking, I mean, he had multiple balls in the 480 range. And he's, you know, he gets done and he's just kind of walking off alone. It's a number one reason why I wanted him to win so badly uh, was that he didn't have a hype team. 
what what he did in the first round, I think, is extra incredible because you have Adley Rushman go up, who for some reason is like the chosen second favorite of the entire crowd. Obviously, Julio was the the outright favorite of the crowd, and rightfully so. But people were going insane for Adley Rushman, who put up a, a good first round, no doubt. Probably the best round by a catcher ever in the home run derby. And Luis went up there and just destroyed him pretty easily, hitting these balls that were just absolute nukes. And he gets done, and nobody's talking to him during his timeout. Nobody talks to him. It, I was actually really sad about that. It, it was strange to me that, like, nobody from the organization even seemed to come. Oh, but this would be um, the White Sox organization, wouldn't it? A totally dysfunctional pile of crap. Yeah. I mean, even the guy who pitched to him in that second round, I was like, wow, this guy, I, I don't know if he was coached by Ethan Katz or what, but he can't find the zone, and that's going to kill Luis Robert. The pitcher efficiency, which if you've ever listened to a single episode of this podcast before, uh, <laughs> you know that it is the number one thing I like to gripe about. And seeing it happen on the national stage in the smallest, dumbest level ever was just fitting. Because in his second round, he he was not getting the ball where he needed it to be at all. No, they he giving, wasn't. They were giving him so much stuff that you have to go the other way with. And let's be real, in the home run derby, if you're not pulling the ball, you lose. I mean, you, you have to just be hitting you know missiles down the left field line over and over and over and over. And he he has the power to hit some out to center, and he did. But he had to take a lot to right field. And, you know, it, it's different. Obviously, in games, we see guys take home runs to the opposite field from time to time. But the ball's coming in at 95 miles an hour. So half of your power is supplied by the ball coming into the plate. In the home run derby, that's not the case. The home run derby is bat muscle pretty much only. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting too because they were they were putting up the exit velocity, um, bunches. I don't think all of them, but bunches of the homers, and they weren't very high. I mean, there were a couple. That, you know, wow, one ten. But as we typically think of as as a home run, it's, if it's not over a hundred, it was a cheapie. A lot of them were ninety eight, ninety nine. And I think it goes back to the ball wasn't coming in that hard. Correct. So so they're having to produce more. I think a guy like Mookie Betts, if you had a guy up there throwing 85, Mookie Betts actually probably hits 30 in the first round. But when you're talking about a 5'9 guy and you got a ball coming in over the plate at 50 miles an hour, it's, there's not a lot to push that thing out of the park, which which I think Mookie knew and was, you know, semi-embarrassed. Well, I think but, Mookie was just doing it for fun. And, well, Mookie was doing it because his wife told him to do yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to so, say, and it's, it's because his wife said he had to. Yeah, the one of the great sound bits is uh, after, during Mookie's timeout, he went up to J.D. Martinez, and J.D. had the microphone. And they were like, hey, J.D., what, what's your advice? And he goes to Mookie, and he goes, you just got to be pulling him to left. You got to pull him down the left field line. And Mookie just goes, I don't know how to just do that. I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, it's, it's true. Mookie's a real hitter. He takes the ball all over the field. He's not a pull hitter. Like, he, he pulls the ball a lot. But, you know, a lot of times he's going to the opposite field. 
And you see him up there, and he just doesn't know how to just muscle well, his, balls his, over. His job, as opposed to the other guys that were in there, his job isn't the end homers. Right, his job he is does to be on it. base for the guys. Yeah, who he's he's lightning hot right now. He's got twenty six home runs. The guy can. Uh, he's on pace for forty six home runs this year. You can't argue that Mookie Betts doesn't hit home runs, but. He's not necessarily up there trying to hit home runs. He's just trying to make solid contact, get on base. And when the ball's coming in at 98 miles an hour, when he does that, it's going to leave the park. But, you know, it, it's tough. And with Luis, you know, he, he just wasn't getting the ball placement at all. Julio's first round, I think the most impressive performance of the whole event <laughs> His pitcher. was Julio's pitcher in the first round. That guy doesn't take a step. He throws standing still. It's it's just he's his batting practice pitcher, so he knows how to throw to him. I think if you put up a little square, not like a batting box square, but a little square smaller than a toaster, we would have found that 99% of that guy's pitches were within that square. It was unbelievable the accuracy that that pitcher had. He He didn't carry it on quite as well later on. But in the first round when Julio hit 40 or 41, uh, it was just it, – it was blowing my mind just watching it. I'm like, this dude, this is like darts. This guy is throwing a baseball as if it's a dart with pinpoint accuracy. Uh, and Luis's pitcher just did not do that. In the first round, Luis is so strong that he was able to muscle a lot of bad pitches out of the ballpark because – you know, I, there's uh, the reason I picked him before my later reason of him being lonely. But my first reason was just people are going to sleep on this guy who we know as White Sox fans can hit the ball to outer space. Like, Luis Robert is as strong as anyone in baseball when it comes to putting the ball out of the park and, and getting distance. If this thing had been to Colorado, Luis would have had many 500-foot home runs, which would have been obviously spectacular to watch. Uh, but his his pitching just wasn't there. And you don't like to talk about that in the home run derby. I, I can't believe I'm on here griping about White Sox pitching for the home <laughs> run derby. Um, but, but here we are. And then the unfortunate thing that he is now injured, which we, I think, you know, if you, I'm not a betting guy, but if you had said, you know, you got to bet on whether or not Luis Robert will be injured or not injured coming out in the home run derby. I'm taking injured 10 out of 10 times. You know, I, I've but seen these guys. We, we don't know yet. It doesn't seem like it's a major thing, but we'll we'll find out. The The good thing on, on that front is that even if he misses a week or something, it doesn't matter. No. I mean, I'm sad for him because of the stats that he's piling up. But from the team perspective, Hey, pick a guy out of the stands and put him at center field. It just doesn't matter what happens in Europe. Rick Hahn's mealy-mouthing, notwithstanding, it doesn't matter. They're done. They are finished. And it's a question of what you can now do to kind of set things up for next year or any future years, which I guess is our, our should be our next big topic of conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if we were to preemptively title, you know, our podcast mu moving forward uh, this season, I would title it The Window Has Closed. 
uh, this this theoretical championship window that we had over the past couple years, which obviously did not <laughs> show up in really any way, shape, or form going from 2020 when the A's knocked us out of the big playoffs. Uh, the window's closed. It's over. This team is not going to win. They're, they're, it's, it's not a situation where, well, let's keep the core together and next year we, we'll get them. No, it's, it's proven. We have a three-season sample, four, three-and-a-half-season sample of, of what this team can do together. And I'm not hating on Grafal. I actually am still interested in the Grafal experiment. I'm interested in Grafal still being the manager next year when hopefully it's a bunch of prospects that we're going to get at this deadline. Uh, but it is safe to say this window has closed. We are, what, 16 games under 500 at the All-Star break, which any other year or division means you're 24 games out of first place, 25 games out of first place, maybe up to 30 if you were in the AL East. <laughs> and here we are, we're sitting within st- some imaginary striking distance to the point where people are acting like we might be buyers at the deadline, which we know is absolutely not going to happen. You know what we're doing this week? The team is going to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. we could come out of our run differentials already embarrassing. I think we could come out of Atlanta with 20 more runs in that run differential. I, I truly do. Atlanta. Well, so I'm working. I'm working good. Friday night's game. So it'd be interesting to watch. What what happens in there? Yeah, that's uh, we have some sort of outside thinkers thinking uh, about what the White Sox are apt to do. The first and most interesting is Bob Nightingale, who is, and incidentally, it's a shame we don't have anybody on the Chicago Tribune who is capable of saying anything of any intelligence whatsoever. But the White Sox has no sources, has no nothing, but whatever. Now that the, the Sun Times, yeah, I mean, he's okay. But I don't have a subscription. <laughs> I have a subscription to the Trib, and, and it's just stupid. Uh, but anyhow, Nightingale is not a very good writer, and he's not a very good reporter, except when it comes to the White Sox. He is Jerry Reinsdorf's typist. Or in this case that we're going to talk about, because it's a radio interview, Jerry Reinsdorf's mouth. And when he came out in his interview and on um, NBC uh, Sports and, and with Chuck uh, Garfine, and he said he would be shocked if six pitchers weren't gone. Three starters, he who shall not be named, and Gillian, which you literally know is gone because he's, he's a rental anyway, and Lynn. And Texas is now saying they want Lynn. I mean, they're even going out and saying they want Lynn, who with his 680 ERA or whatever it is, but has been reasonable lately. Uh, and then, well, I, I mean, in Lynn's defense, every other start right now is Cy Young quality. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's only it's only every other. But and then it, then in between, he gives up five runs in an inning, and it's usually one inning in those. Yeah. but it's five runs. If uh, Texas is saying they want Lynn, I hope he's on a plane right now. Yeah, and that's a you know. It, yeah, I mean, it, it usually pays for the selling team to hold off toward the end because you get more suitors as players get injured and, and more teams need somebody. But if I want Giolito, I want him now. That's two more starts I get out of it before the end of the season or later, yeah. whatever. Then the relievers, he says, going or Kelly. Now, that was before 
Kelly went back on the IL, but this doesn't seem like a long-term IL thing. So that could be true. Graveman. And interestingly, Aaron Bummer, and I say interestingly because Bummer has got three more years of team control. You would think Middleton would be the one most likely to go. Um, but anyhow, that's who he says. Oh, that's six pitches, which leaves so you wait, with no pitching staff. He's saying so he's saying that he thinks Bummer will be gone. Yes. He oh, says he'll okay. be shocked if he's not. That's not based on anybody saying they want Aaron Bummer. No, 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 no. Okay. Although Bummer, I just I just delusional. At, I was just looking at that I brought it up on my phone at uh, F four. I I usually I usually stick with baseball references. I'm always looking at B War, but I went over to Fangross and on F four. Bummer's doing pretty well. He's like a 0.7, which for a reliever at this point is not bad. I mean, it's, it's not bad. How come every time I turn on a TV and Aaron Bummer's on, something terrible yeah, somebody, Somebody's running around the bases, yeah, uh, because he just bounced one 14. But of course, that's because we don't have any catchers who can actually catch a, a bouncing slider or sweeper, as we now say. Uh, but at any rate, that's what he's saying. He's saying those six guys, which I have a solution, which I'm going to write about this week, which is to go to something I wrote about a few years ago, which is the three by three by three pitching system, uh, where you, instead of the usual rotation, you have three pitchers pitching three innings every third day. Plus, wow. leaves you. Okay. Three pitchers pitching three innings every third day. Yeah. Presumably, they will pitch fewer than 60 pitches. And if they reach 60, then you bring in a reliever. You still got four more pitchers. Uh, and that fits right in with the high school rules. High school, high school say if you throw fewer than 60 pitchers, you need two days rest. If you throw 100, you need four days rest, which is a typical starter thing for the major league. So anyhow, I'm going to get into that. Then John Heyman in the New York Post came out, and he said, they, despite Han saying, oh, we're only going to do people whose contracts, and yeah, uh, saying the only untouchables for the White Sox will be Luis, Dylan Cease, Eloy, and Andrew Vaughn. Now, I understand the first two. Yes, of course. Long control and, and excellent players. They have extensive control over Vaughn and Eloy, but they both have serious weaknesses. Uh, Eloy defensively pretty much has to be a designated hitter if you're a competitive team. The White Sox, it's different. But on a competitive team, he's got to be a DH. And Vaughn is below his norm at midseason and always has bad second halves. So I don't know who would want, but I don't know why they're desperate to keep Vaughn, who right now is just kind of an average first baseman and slightly below average defensively. I, I'm not saying I hate Andrew Vaughn. He's fine. But why is he the guy Untouchable. just got to keep? Yeah. Yeah. That. That makes no sense to me. Let's take our break real quick and come back and keep talking about this because I have, I have a little bit of a theory on that, which is probably wrong, but I'd like to share it. So uh, hang in there. We will be right back on Sharing Socks. Welcome back to Sharing Socks. We're discussing the untouchables, Luis Robert, Dylan Cease, Eloy Jimenez, and Andrew Vaughn. Uh, as you mentioned before, obviously we know why Dylan Cease and Luis Robert would be untouchable. I would honestly put on that, I, I would actually say the only person who should be on that list is Luis Robert. I, I don't even think Dylan Cease should be on that list because 
we're not seeing any sort of, you know, uptick in greatness from Dylan Cease. If people are really high on him right now, I get that the team control is excellent, but I think you could get a ton for him right now. And we're not talking about a team that needs two prospects to have a good future. We're talking about a team that has no prospects. We have no farm system. I mean, we got a couple guys who maybe could be Major League Baseball players, and that's it. So we have to sell some of the guys we don't want to sell, which for me, I think the reason they say Eloy and Andrew Vaughn are untouchable is a mind game to to make other teams value them more. Because I just don't see a world where someone comes forward and says, we give you two decent prospects for Andrew Vaughn and you turn it down. It it, it doesn't make sense to me. Vaughn is fine. Um, We've been supportive of Andrew Vaughn through, you know, his tough times, which I don't blame him for. He was put in the outfield where he doesn't belong. And that does a lot to your confidence and your mindset. Uh, Eloy, who is just always hurt, um, I mean, he makes uh, – he's the number one guy I would try to unload right now. So to say that he is untouchable, and obviously I, we love Eloy. We love his energy. Oh, we love his yeah, positivity. I mean, I, that, that, yeah. To, having a, somebody who through all of this can smile like he smiles is worth yeah. it to itself. And he also can hit, which is good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but I think, you know, if you get even a decent offer for Eloy Jimenez, you take it. I mean, what are you saving him for for the future? The the guy seems like maybe he'll be hurt constantly through his whole career. What are you what are you protecting there? He can never play defense again at a major league level, no doubt. He can hit, but only if he's healthy, which he rarely is. So why is he untouchable? And why is Andrew Vaughn untouchable? Which is why I don't believe for a second that they are untouchable. <laughs> You notice the name that was not mentioned in there. Nightingale mentions the name and said it's 50-50, whether he goes. And that's uh, Tim, Tim Anderson. Um, well, Tim don't would 100% know. be gone if he wasn't terrible. I, yes. I, think you, I think you just say that now because you may end up having to keep Tim. And you don't want to end the All-Star break with all this dialogue from the team of we're trying to get rid of him. Uh, because he's most likely going to still be a White Sox player after this deadline. I don't know a lot of teams that are looking for a below-average shortstop who's hitting 230. Yeah, the only thing, and he's going by saying, I'm a shortstop, i got to be a shortstop. There are teams, even Tampa Bay, for example, uh, has a second-base problem. There, there are two or three competitive teams with second-base problems. If he would go to second base, uh, willingly and happily enough, but... I mean, his season is so bad. MLB trade uh, rumors, which is, I know, a site that we both look at and which I think does does excellent work until you get to the comments where idiots come in. But the yeah. actual guys who work there are very good at what they do. They did a straight, a very long piece on Tim uh, just in the past day and did a strange thing where they said he used to be really good defensively. No, he didn't. In no. 2018, for some reason, in 2018, he was terrific defensively. Other than that, he has either been very negative on Oozer. I think he's always been negative on Oozer. Defensive runs save, mostly negative a couple of years where he was plus two or plus three. He's a below average horse. He's not terrible. I mean, he's better than, certainly than anything else the White Sox have to fail. But he's below average. 
you're, you're nobody's grabbing. Say, oh yeah, For we got sure. we got to have Tim Anderson's defense. That's just not there. His power is that he's a shortstop who's fairly decent defensively, who can really hit. Except this year, for whatever reason, whether it's the off-field issues, uh, whether he just started badly and it got in his head, uh, I don't know why, but suddenly he can't hit it. Or did pitchers figure out something? They say, well, we're not going to start him off with a fastball on the outside corner because he always takes that on the first pitch and slams it to right for a single. Well, um, they, certain, they certainly have figured that out, you know, but that that's not enough of a reason for – I even overshot it at 230. He's hitting 223 at the All-Star break. And the kind of even more telling number there is that he has an on-base percentage around 250. Which well, that's always about, been a problem, of course, for leadoff hitters that he never walks. Right. But that is particularly low. And the number of teams that are looking for a leadoff guy hitting 223 and an on-base percentage of 250 is zero. There's nobody looking at that. You know, I, I'm around Los Angeles and the Dodgers quite a bit. Earlier in the year, Dodger fans were like, we're going to go get Tim Anderson. It's going to be awesome. Because their Dodgers have shortstop problems as well right now with injuries, Gavin Lux. Uh, but now everyone's like, no, 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 no. We do not need a, another <laughs> yeah, Miguel it, Vargas. The yeah. thing that I just got curious of this morning, I, at took time, is the performance of White Sox players against good or bad teams. We know, for example, there was a year, I think two years, yeah, just two years ago, where uh, Dylan C said an ERA under three against teams with under 500 and over six for teams that are better. That was when anything could get in Dylan's head and completely screw him up. And then he, he straightened that out last year. He's regressed a little this year, but not totally by any means. But I thought, hey, what about the hitters? How are they between good and bad teams? Well, t- as you'd imagine, they're better against bad teams than against good teams because sure, everyone is kind yeah. of pitchers that you're facing. But Tim's is insane. For teams, this is career. For teams under 500, he's hitting 312 with an 809 OPS. Wow. For teams over 500, he's hitting 250 with 663 OPS. So now, you know, with Sox have really been killed. Of course, the whole division has. The division's been terrible for many years, but it really shows now with the new schedule where, where you're not getting to play your own dregs over and over. Um, and interleague, which of course you're playing twice as much of now, his career he's hitting 218. Wow. Which makes you wonder about going to, say, the Dodgers or, or another National League contender. <laughs> well, why would that even be? Why would that I, affect a shortstop's batting average so intensely? I have, have no idea. That they have better scouts in the National League? I don't know. Now they're all, you know, everybody out says at Deloy, very little difference. Uh, Vaughn, big difference. 229 against the bad teams. Uh, I mean, against the good teams, 271 against the good ones with a hundred point difference in his OPS. Uh, Grandal, it's nobody. <laughs> Grandal is fascinating. Of course, most of his career is, so I just did 2022, right? <laughs> Where they were playing the West in the National League. And in right. the league, he hit 306. 
<laughs> with a 696 wow. OPS. But for him, I mean, for general teams over 500, he had 181 with a 460 OPS. I mean, there's another guy you want to get rid of, but I don't think there's any possibility of getting rid of him. It's just yeah, not he's way too expensive. It was just a matter of being really good or better. And uh, Gavin Sheets had a big 60-point difference in, in batting average and 150 points in his OPS. So just having slightly better pitching, they don't. We just have to face, you know, we, we, we looked at the two seasons with winning records in, in 2020 and 2021. And we all go, so, well, they're playing really, really weak schedules. I mean, 2020 yeah. was only the two central divisions, which are awful. In 2021, again, the central and L Central was the interleague play, and they played two thirds of their games against teams. But we know that about the team. But I really hadn't thought about it as the individuals being so uncompetitive against good teams. But of course, that's how your team gets uncompetitive. Right, right. <laughs> That is just, I, I mean, Tim's stat there of being lifetime 312 against under 500 teams and then dipping so far down against decent teams, that is a, a non-selling point for me if I'm looking at this because your playoff teams are looking at stats. At playoffs where they're going like, to play good teams. <laughs> exactly. They're looking at the stats against the good teams, which maybe is going to save Yasmani Grandal and get him a job, but uh, the White Sox would have to eat probably all but 30 bucks of his salary if somebody were to take Yasmani Grandal from us. But but that's, but, that's that was that was only interleagues. I guess he'd have to be in the National League if he went to the National League. <laughs> right, right. If, if he went to the National League, which uh, Los Angeles not looking for a catcher, so uh, not interested in that. That is that is shocking. I, I think that Tim... I mean, the regression this year is so intense that to me it is a sign that it's not going to get a lot better again. Uh, obviously, he should hit for slightly better average. 223 is embarrassing. Um, but I just wouldn't roll the dice on him if I were a team. I, You know, I would if the price was right, but the price won't be right because the White Sox overvalued the heck out of Tim Anderson. And, and there, I, I there just, are reasons within the team and fan base and whatnot to do that because he's sure. he's been so representative of the team for so long. He has. And they already he, lost those. I mean, you had two guys who were the team face, Jose yeah. and Tim. And now Jose's already gone and you left. You lose Tim too. But we got, you know, you have to keep in mind that Tim has not really been an active face of this franchise for a couple of years. He's because of off the field stuff and playing terribly. He has really kind of taken a back seat. I, I think moving forward, if you can unload him, you unload him. And I don't think the fan base gets mad about that. You know, you can sense when fan bases are like, keep this guy just because we love him. And I don't get that energy from White Sox fans about Tim Anderson anymore. I, I think if there is any of that energy going to anyone, which there really kind of isn't, it's Luis. And, and it if, should be, obviously. If Luis had sort of a more outgoing personality, I think he would be the absolute future face of the franchise. Uh, but Luis what you, is what you need to do is very quiet. Luis's, Luis's total all-around skills with Aloy's personality, and you got – Super fan star. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you you do that, and you're talking about only Otani being loved more than you. 
Like that is that would be quite the combo. And I'm not blaming Luis for that. No one says well, he's you just have a to quiet have a, guy. Yeah, no one says you have to be louder or boisterous. So, uh, but I would absolutely be willing to get rid of every single guy on this team except for Luis Robert because Luis Robert's young. He's outstanding. He is a guy you can build around. Would I sympathize with Luis Robert for being stuck on this team over the next few years? Yes, absolutely. I think he would. He's probably secretly deep down wishing he was part of these conversations. But I think he's the guy you got to say, hey, we're going to build this around you. And we want this team to be great in a few years. We're going to be giving up a lot of guys, but we're going to keep you because we believe in you being the face of the Chicago White Sox. I, I think that's the smart move, and I think you unload everybody else. I would unload Dylan Peace right now. You could get uh, – well, I would unload him on July 30th because you will get everything for Dylan Cease. And I'm not saying that Dylan Cease isn't valuable. I'm just saying that whatever you can get back right now to set up your future – the selling point on Cease is going to be so high, and I'm not fully confident that you're going to have that opportunity again with him. Uh, I would love for him to prove me wrong. I'd love for him to go somewhere. Well, you've been a Cease fan forever. I I have been. And, it's again, this isn't me saying that Cease is bad. I'm just saying that the ceiling on Cease, for me, just based on this regression this year, is kind of showing me that right now is the time to get rid of Dylan Cease. Teams are still thinking about last year. They're still seeing some good stuff from him. I think you could get a ton for him. Now, the White Sox aren't going to trade him, so it doesn't matter. But I would also get rid of Cease. Giolito is as good as gone. Uh, I think you have I to think try he's to... Gonna be, I think he's going to be a neighbor of yours. I think there's a chance. Um, I would love to see Lucas come out here. You know, Harvard Westlake's just down the street. This is his home turf. Uh, it would be really exciting to see him come out here. Dodgers pitching injuries are constant. So it would be, it's crucial for the Dodgers to get a pitcher at this deadline if they want to do anything. And Giolito is far and away the top fit. Uh, I actually think if Giolito were to come out here, we would probably see an uptick in his performance. I, I think bringing him to L.A. and giving him that sort of hometown feeling and putting him on a real contender, I think there's a chance you'd see some elite pitching come out of Lucas Giolito again, which well, he's would been be very good. I mean, he's, he's been very like good, but I, very good. but I think we could see an uptick to elite if, if you were to take a chance on Giolito in a new setting. He just feels like one of those guys who's, who's just on the brink and just needs that change of scenery to get things going. I thought that about Tim at the beginning of the year, but Tim has regressed so violently that I just don't know. Uh, And for Tim's sake, if he is not willing to play second base, he's not going to be a major leaguer for that much longer. You know, he, he is, he's aging. He's not getting better at defense. I think there's a world where Tim Anderson is a top five in your in your league defensive second baseman. Uh, you know, you don't need as much range. And, you know, coming from being a shortstop, going to second base, 
I think Tim could do incredible things at second base. I actually believe that. And I think if he got to do that, his hitting would start to get better as his confidence gets up. None of that's going to happen in Chicago. And the big issue Tim is going to face is I don't think anybody is going to get him to come play shortstop. I think anybody who wants him at this point is looking for a second baseman. It's a little more forgivable for a second baseman to hit the 230 range. It's not ideal. Uh, It's definitely going to hurt his cause. But people are a little more forgiving with second base output than they are with shortstop output. Because, you know, theoretically, from Little League up, your two best athletes on the field are your shortstop and your center fielder. You expect really great production from those two guys in all aspects of the game. And they tend to get paid a lot more money because of that. Um I, I would love to get rid of Vaughn. I'd love to get rid of Eloy. I'd love to get rid of everybody. I, and it's not because I dislike these guys at a personal level. This just didn't work, and it's time to, to start over. This is not the team that's going to get the White Sox back to the well, World Series. A lot of, lot of talk playoffs. about chemistry. A lot of, you know, something is wrong. I mean, it, it came out, yeah. you know, Nightingale again. I think making excuses for Tony La Russa last year and saying it. And, and speaking for Jerry Reinsdorf, who's making excuses for his own stupid decision, uh, there is something wrong in the mix. And yeah. it's, it's hard to imagine what it would be. It's, it's, but it, it's there. In baseball, there's not even a reason for it. It's, it's not like if a guy doesn't like another guy, he doesn't basketball, he doesn't pass him the ball when he's open. It's an indi- to call it an individual sport in a team setting. You don't have to get along with anybody. <laughs> you just have to do your yeah. job. Um, it's it's a mis- mysterious thing. Well, I think it's all trickled down. It, it trickles down from ownership through GM, through president of baseball operations, down through through management. I, I think it's a trickle down effect of lethargy and indifference and and a lack of desire to actually win baseball games. The White Sox are not run like an organization that's trying to win games. The White Sox are run like a dollar store. You know, they're saying, hey, well, we're going to get- even said that out in Los Angeles where he made, he made that speech. He said, well, the important thing is to be competitive in September so people still buy tickets. <laughs> not going to be. And, and the only reason that's not total delusion is because of the division we're in. But we are, we're not going to be competitive in September. We're not competitive in August. We're not competitive in July. We weren't competitive in June. So the idea that we're going to turn this around miraculously makes no sense. Makes no sense whatsoever. I think it's time to wipe the slate clean as much as that pains me because that means, you know, we're going to be on this podcast talking about a rebuild, <laughs> which, you know. Yeah, easier at your age than mine. <laughs> yeah. To live through another yeah. seven years in the wilderness. Exactly. Uh, but that is all about all the time we have for today. Do you have any final thoughts before we sign well, you know, off? We yeah. never even mentioned the draft. <laughs> there was a draft oh, right. this week, folks. There are 24 there people in the, way, in the White Sox system. <laughs> I have to say, I, I, I don't really follow the draft except very casually because I have no idea what's going on. No, yeah. I have no <laughs> idea whether any of these guys are good or not. I'll leave that up to other folks. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way, especially when you get into the prep school stuff. I'm like, I I don't know if this 18-year-old is really an elite baseball player yet. I mean, he just got his driver's license, so uh, he can get to the ballpark on his own, and that's pretty much all I know. 
yeah, White Sox first round pick, middle infielder, shortstop, Ole Miss seems like a a solid mid first round pick. This year's draft was so top heavy. The first five picks were so far above everyone else that if you didn't have one of those picks, it wasn't really going to make a huge so immediate impact. It is good if our if our number one pick becomes the number one within the rankings of prospects. It would mean our two highest prospects are both shortstops. <laughs> Makes total sense if we can go from having twenty. Neither of them to... close to coming to the majors when we really need them now. <laughs> yes, exactly. A, a huge problem, but um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, these guys might be good, and we'll talk about them in five years when they come to the majors. That's the other thing about the MLB draft versus the NBA draft. Here, you like with NBA drafts, it's like you're looking for starters. You're looking for guys who are going to be playing on the team next year. The MLB draft, most of the time, you're like, well, I'll see you in four to seven years. <laughs> Hopefully closer to four than seven. But And, and you knows? haven't had more than one Tommy John surgery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time on Sharing Socks.